Uh, good morning, everyone. Let me pray, and then we will go uh, to our second Bible passage uh, following last week's study on how to read the Bible. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that today your mercies are new again, as they were yesterday and the day before, and as they will be tomorrow. Your mercies are new every morning. And we pray, as we always do, that you would enlighten our mind with your truth, with a view to changing our heart, that we may live in obedience according to your will and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, we'll do the sword drill. Does anybody remember what the lesson was last week? Yep. Psalm 1. Excellent. Well done. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, so what do we say? This is my sword. Okay. Okay. Sword in sheath. And then when I say the Bible verse, you'll repeat it after me, yeah, just so that we're nice and clear. Okay. Swords drawn. Luke chapter 11. Okay. Charge. Oh, oh I, I think hands. Oh, oh, sorry. I was looking down and you started speaking, and I think Sophia and Jedediah got there. Got there quick. Um, so what we'll do in, in that case, because I was looking down and I was not looking up, I'm going to divide the passage up into three. Okay, so Jedediah, if you would be willing to read um, for us, if you'd be willing to read for us uh, one through to four, Sophia, could you read for us five through to nine? And then, Bethany, if you could read through us, uh, for us, 10 through to 13. Okay, so it's 1 through to 4, 5 through to 9, and then 10 through to 13. Now, when you stand up and you speak, remember, we, we need to make sure that that invisible man underneath the desk can hear you, and he's hard of hearing, so you don't need to shout, but you just, just speak loudly, okay? Just so that everyone can hear. Okay, and if we can't hear, we're following Luke 11, verses 1 through to 13. So, Jedediah, up you stand then, please. Now Jesus was praying at a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, Why do you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and let us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Brilliant. Okay, Sophia.
Wonderful. Bethany, 9 through to 13. No. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you, all three of you. Now, I should have said last week, and I don't think I made it quite clear enough, that um, when reading the Bible, um, every answer that... Um, Every answer that God wants you to know is already written in the Bible, okay? So let's try and remember that. So every answer that God wants you to know is already written in the Bible. Now, if you are making notes, this is one verse to write down, and that is Deuteronomy 27, verse 7. And in Deuteronomy 27, 7, it says that the secret things belong to God... And the things that are known belong to us. And what that means is, is there are things, truths, um, knowledge that God has and only God has. And then there is knowledge that God wants us to have. And so if it is not in the Bible when we're talking about who God is and what God does and who we are in our relationship, then we ought to concentrate on what God does want us to know rather than focusing on all the things that perhaps we would like to know. So let's remember that whenever I ask a question, the answers will always be in the verses that we have read. Okay, I won't stray from that because I'm going to try and show you that as you read, the answers are just already there. Okay, you don't have to you don't have to read other books. You don't have to have a head full of knowledge. The answers are always in what you read. So if you read carefully, you'll see that the answers will just come to the surface the more you read. And that's just the wonder of God's word. So last week we were in Psalm 1, and I had, I had three basic principles. Um, the most important one, which I didn't state last week, at least not clearly, is that the answers are always in the text. Okay, so the answers are always in the text. Um, but the first one was that we ought to read slower and reread the passage. Okay, so when you've read a passage, reread it and then read it slower. And if you read it out loud, um, you'll, you'll do exactly what the psalmist does to himself in Psalm 1. So the psalmist is, when he meditates on the word day and night, what he's actually doing is that he's reading the word of God out loud to himself, as though he is both the speaker and the hearer of God's word. And that's, that's what meditation is. It is to meditate on the word. It is to literally read the word of God to yourself, as though you are, yes, you are reading it, but you're also receiving it. Okay, and that's really important. So Read slower and read the same thing twice or even three or four times. 
And when you read it more, more things will come to the surface. You go, oh, I didn't see that before. And you'll wonder why you miss things. And okay, often it's just because we read too fast. So I'm going to give you an illustration. When I was young, I was taught how to draw um, by uh, an art teacher. And I was also taught um, uh, how to paint and that. And I can't say that I was brilliant at it, it, but I gave it a go. And what the art teacher used to do is that she would say, I want you to draw a picture of a bird, and then she would get a picture of a bird and give it to me. But then she says, I want you to draw what you see, not what you think a bird looks like. So what she used to do is she used to turn the picture of the bird upside down and get me to copy it from the bottom to the top. And she would release, she would cover three quarters of the, and she would go up and up and up. And because I was drawing what I saw, that by the time I was finished and I turned mine around, it looked much more like the bird that I was drawing than one that I would imagine. Okay, and that's what it's like when it's reading God's Word. Sometimes we imagine what it says because we think we know it, when actually we should just slow ourselves right down and pay attention. Does anybody remember the six friends that we had? They were six questions for reading the Bible. Callan, can you do all six? Who, what, where, when, why, and how. Excellent. So if you've not got those written down, write those down. Who, what, where, when, why, and how. So does anybody want to tell me, having read uh, Luke 1 through to 11, what the main point of those 13 verses are. What is the main point, the main thing that we're reading about? Remember the, the answers in the verses. Uh, Judah. God answers prayer. Yeah. So I'm going, to, I'm going to just, you're absolutely right, God does answer prayer, but I'm just going to break it down to one word, and that's praying. So Luke, 13, Luke 11, 1 through to 13 is about praying, okay? And then what do we notice about prayer? What are the two things that we notice about prayer? One of them, as Judah rightly said, is that God answers prayer. But if God answers prayer, what needs to happen before God answers prayer? Callum. Well, yeah, he, that's right. God does hear and then answer, yeah. But there's, there's something else that happens before that. Hadassah. Yeah, you have to pray. Yeah. <laughs> so what we have, see how easy it is. Okay. And this is illustrated by um, the verses later on where it says that you have to ask and then you get. So you ask and you receive. So praying is about you speaking and God listening and then God answering uh, your prayer. So let's notice something that you perhaps may not have noticed before. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he is finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So the disciples have heard Jesus praying and then they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Did you know 
This is just, you can't get this from Luke 11. You have to get it from all the Gospels. But did you know that Jesus never had, uh, never prayed with his disciples? You never see Jesus in a prayer meeting. He always prays on his own. And it's quite confusing here because you think that the disciples are praying with Jesus. But what it looks like from when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is that Jesus often goes off to pray, not too far away from the disciples, a bit like in the garden, where he tells them to stay awake and watch and pray themselves while he goes off and he prays. So that's just a little, a little extra there that Jesus um, uh, prays for his disciples, um, but he doesn't have a prayer meeting with them. And we're not too sure why, but there we go. So the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, and the next thing we see in verses 2 to 4 is what? Judah? A model prayer. Sorry, say that again? A model prayer. Yeah, a model prayer. So they've asked the question, teach us to pray, and the answer is, here's a prayer to follow. Okay. Then Jesus gives a parable in verses, um, well, he begins in verse 5, and then he sort of finishes in verse 8. Can anybody tell me what the parable is about? Remember, all the answers are in the text. What's the parable about? It starts with a friend who goes to another friend at midnight, and what does he want? Food, excellent. And why does he want that extra food? Excellent, yeah. To feed somebody who has come to him very late in the day. So notice the questions that we're asking. Who, why, what, where, okay. We're just asking these questions. So a friend has come to him at midnight, and he says in verse 6, I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer, sorry, for a friend of mine uh, has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot, I cannot get up and give you anything. So what you have is you have a friend, okay, in house, uh, house A, and his, his friend from a long way away has come to see him. And as he's coming to the house, the man goes, I've got no food for you. I'm going to go to house B, my other friend, and I'm going to knock on his door and say, do you have any food? Because I have a friend who's come to me late at night, and now I'm coming to you late at night so that I can feed him. Does everyone get that? So, right, we got that. Now, this is where it gets a little confusing Okay, because the man on the inside, look at verse 7. What does the man on the inside of the second house say? The man whose door is knocked on, what does he say? Hadassah. I'm sleeping and I don't want to get up. Yeah, in other words, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, stop bothering me. Um, you know, leave me alone. It's too late. Um, Okay, now this is really important that you remember who the man on the inside is. Like, really, really quite important. Verse 8, because verse 8 is very confusing. 
Okay, and the question we need to ask is the question, who? Okay, so verse 8 says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is um, anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And so the problem that we have is we want to go, whose who's impotence? The man on the inside or the man on the outside? Now, if you have a Bible where it says persistence, the trouble with reading it with, as persistence is you will naturally assume it means the man on the outside. Right? Just knocking, 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 knocking. Now, there's problems with believing that, isn't there? Now, what is the problem with believing... Um, with believing that prayer is, <clears throat> in, th in this situation, it's like a man on the outside trying to uh, knock, 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 knock. Now, if yours says impudence, the actual, the actual Greek word there is a word called a nada, which means impudence or without shame. Okay, that's what it means. It means without shame. And it's a very hard word to translate because some people translate it persistence, the trouble is, is most people think that it's then referring to the man on the outside knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. Now, who thinks we should be persistent with God in prayer? Okay, but I'm glad you think that, but here's a sort of a little correction. Luke 11 is not about persistence. Luke 18 is about persistence, so really quickly, Turn with me to Luke chapter 18 and tell me if any of you remember the story in Luke 18. Callum, do you remember this one? Right. Now you're right. Brilliant. So for those of you who couldn't quite hear what Callum was saying, he just explained Luke 18 brilliantly. Of a woman who seeking justice from an unjust judge and she keeps going to him all the time, all the time, until the unjust judge gives up. He just gives in, and he gives the woman what she wants because of her persistence. Now, I want you to notice, why does the woman have to be so persistent? Anybody know the answer to that one? Jesse? Yeah, because the judge is unjust. The reason she has to keep asking is because the judge is unjust. Is God like that? God's not like So when you are persistent in prayer, is it because God's unjust that you just have to keep bothering him? No, it isn't, is it? Now let's go back to Luke 11. Okay. So here in Luke 11, verse 8 says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, 
Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So who are we speaking about? The man on the outside or the man on the inside? Now here's the problem. If you think that prayer is like you asking and seeking and knocking and God's on the inside, does God turn around and say to you, it's too late, I'm in bed, I'm fast asleep, leave me alone, come back tomorrow? No, God doesn't do that, does he? So what's the lesson here? Well, the lesson is this, is that imagine this. So in Liverpool, um, which is in the UK, Liverpool is known for its, its very community shame culture. That if you go and knock on a neighbor's door because you need something, and your neighbor doesn't give you what you need, your name is then mud throughout the whole street. Shame on you. Shame on you for not getting out and helping your friend. Okay? How dare you? So imagine that this is the same type of culture. You've got a friend going to a friend at midnight and he's knocking for help. Imagine what that man's reputation will be the following morning if he doesn't get up and help. Everyone will look at him and go, shame on you. And so this is why we need to understand the original languages. I know it's a little difficult but I'm going to show you that you can still understand this without the Greek, which is, which is what I'm really aiming for, because I don't want you to feel that you are sort of shortchanged if you don't know the original languages. They help, but God has given us his word in such a way that we can still work this out without knowing Greek and Hebrew. Now, that may be a little controversial to those who like Greek and Hebrew, but I'm going to prove that it's true. So... <clears throat> The the Greek word means without shame. So because the man wants to be without shame, he will get up and give him what he wants. Because the following morning, he, he doesn't want his name to be mud in the community. He doesn't want to be the one person who didn't get up and help his fellow neighbor at midnight. Okay? Now, how do we know that's true, even if we don't know any of the Greek and Hebrew? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 9. This is Jesus speaking. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. So there's the two parts of prayer. You ask and God gives. Does everyone notice that? So we are understanding praying on a very simple level. You speak and God answers. Yeah, verse 9. Seek and you will find. So something that you do and something that God gives because it's there. Knock and it will be opened to you. So this is like the illustration with the man knocking on the door. Knock and it will be opened to you. God is not saying, come back tomorrow. No, you knock and it will be opened. God is not like the reluctant man on the inside of the house. He's like, you know, as if you, the only way to get God to answer your prayers is to keep bothering him so much that he moves himself to do something. No, God's not like that. And he's not like the unjust judge, because if you read that, it's all about how God will answer you speedily. You can read that in your own time. Well, this is your own time, but, you know, another time. Uh, Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So Jesus is explaining to us that if you do this, This is what God will do in return. He won't tell you to go away. He won't say that it's late. He will actually answer you. Now, verse 11, 
What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Does anybody know what Jesus is teaching us there? Let me put, let's keep it really simple. If you ask God for one thing, is God going to give you the opposite? Look at the, ver- the, ans- the answers in verse 11. If you ask God for a fish, is God going to give you a serpent? Look at verse 11. Okay, verse 11 says, no! No, go, Joost? What if you ask for a serpent? I mean, often we ask for serpents. Yeah. Yeah, well, he wouldn't give you the opposite. He would probably just say no. <laughs> That's a guess, but I'm guessing he would just say no. So you're not getting the opposite. You're just not getting what you asked for either. The important thing here, here is when it comes to prayer is that our prayers should always be faith-filled. They should never, ever be curtailed by doubt. As though, I shouldn't ask for this because I don't know what God will do. No, you ask for exactly what you think is needed. Because you never, because it's impossible to please God without faith. And so you never curtail your praying life as though you're curtailing it with doubt, as though I'm too afraid to ask for this because I don't know what the Lord's will is. Well, of course you don't. That's why you can ask for anything. Okay, you just ask God because what God is promising here is that God will not give you the opposite of what you ask for. Okay, I really want you to understand that because too many people pray as though they are being cautious and careful and respectful of God's will when actually they're just being, their heart is just full of doubt. They're, they're, they're actually doubting. Now, I'm not saying that everything you pray for you will get. What I'm saying is, is that when you pray, it should not be modified by doubt. It should be faith-filled. I don't know what God will do, but I am certainly going to ask in the knowledge that God can. Okay, do you understand what I mean? That you, you, because God can do this, then I'm going to ask this of God. That's a faith-filled prayer. Because God can turn around a nation, Nineveh, I'm going to ask God to do it. Right? Because that's what God can. Now, what God can do and what God does do is different. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to then go, well, he may or may not, so I'm only going to pray a half-hearted prayer. Lord, if it's your will, do this. If it, I understand what we're saying, but here we're told to just pray asking, right? And then again, verse 12, if you ask for an egg, will God give you a scorpion? No. Thank you, Carrie. Nice and loud. Thank you, Odessa. Nice and loud. Okay. Verse 13, if you then who are evil, which is Jesus' take on human fathers, know how to give uh, good gifts to your children or human mothers as well, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what Jesus is showing us is that God the Father is the man on the inside who is not like the man in the parable. Do you see that? I want you to see that for yourselves. That the parable is showing us that the man on the inside... Even if, even if he wants to be without shame, 
If, if the man on the inside wants to be without shame and he gets up reluctantly because he doesn't want his name to be mud in the morning, and so he gets up and gives his neighbor what he wants, how much more will God, who is not reluctant, but who gives when you ask and gives when you knock and gives when you seek, how much more will God do it? And why will God do it? Does anybody know from Luke 11 why God answers prayer? Now think about the neighbor. Think about Judah. He loves us. Uh, yeah, it is because he loves us. And that, that's not wrong, but there's, there's another answer here. Okay, here's the answer. When you pray, are, do you have any people that you know um, that don't believe that what you're doing makes any difference? Do you have any friends or family that think you are wasting your time praying to God? Yes. You're just, yes. You're just wasting your time praying. And the thing is, is that if God does not answer, answer our prayers... It's a bit like saying, shame on you. And because God is without shame, nobody can ever come back to God and say, well, he asked for help and you didn't give it to him. Or she asked for help and you didn't give it to her. Because God is without shame. God always answers. God always gives what we ask for. And to use Yost's illustration, if we ask for something that is not actually what God is going to give. The answer is not the opposite, it's just no, for instance. But what I'm trying to show you here is that the reason we have confidence to pray is that as you read through the text, okay, carefully, just asking these simple questions, you begin to see just how important praying um, by asking for things is. And we can get to this just by asking these questions. So I'll just go through really quickly just to finish with. So who's praying in the beginning? Quick answers. Who's praying in the beginning? Excellent. Jesus. What are the disciples? So what? Here's the next. So we have who, what. What do the disciples ask Jesus? Yeah, teach us how to pray. How does Jesus teach them how to pray? In verses uh, 3 to 4, well, end of 2 into 4. Jesse? Yeah, he gives them the Lord's Prayer. So that's how he does it. Why should we pray? Verses 5 through, well, 5 through to the end, really. Callum? Because God will always answer. Brilliant. That is a brilliant answer. Okay, verse 8 is where we have the who question. So how do we know who is impudent or the impudence? I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, this causes so many problems for so many people because they don't know who it's speaking about. And most people favor the man on the outside of the house knocking rather than the man on the inside of the house, inside of the house, answering. Callum? I was just going to say, though he will not get up and give him anything, 
Well, yeah, that's right. It does, it does sound, it, you're all right, I read it that way also, that it does sound more like the man on the inside, but when it sounds more like the man on the outside is when translations interpret the word anada instead of impudence into persistence. And the moment you translate the word as persistence, you naturally assume it's the man on the outside knocking. Knock, 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 knock. That's what Luke 11 is, Luke 18 is about. That is not what Luke 11 is about. Luke 11 is about being without shame, that if someone comes to you, to not give them what they ask for means shame on you. And God is without shame. So any questions as we um, finish? I just want, I just want you to read things a lot slower and you'll find that all the answers are in the text as we have seen any comments before we close please right yeah yeah, and it fits perfectly, doesn't it? It fits in the text. And so what I want to show you is just that as you spend time reading the text and then rereading the text and then ask the six questions. So who's going to give me the six questions? Not Callum this time. He's already done it. Who won't wear, when, why, and how? So, so go on then, Bethany, nice and loud. Excellent. Who, what, where, when, why, and how? So as you read the verses, who, what, where, when, why, and how, and you will find that if the Bible doesn't answer the who, what, where, when, why, and how, it doesn't want you to know. God doesn't want you to know. But when it does, God is showing you exactly what he wants you to know. Make sense? Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the encouragement that it gives us, the correction it gives us, the reproof, and, the, build, and the, the building up of our faith in you. We thank you, Father God, that our praying life should always be modelled by what your word says rather than by what we feel. And so we thank you for Luke 11, thank you for Luke 18, and the many other passages which teaches us to pray uh, full of faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.